And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. Joined, as always, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Lanville. And we do this every week. So if you enjoy listening, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a fan of our show, it would be awesome if you'd also give us a review. Thank you. So, Doug, we're going to talk in a moment with our great guest, Brian Kenny, about how crazy this postseason has been already and the fun matchups we've got ahead of us this week. But first, I had a grilling experience uh, yesterday. <laughs> I need to share this with you. Um, I need some help. I turned on my gas grill. I've done this like a thousand times, okay? All right. That's Usually, right? Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I didn't know you grilled like that a thousand times. Oh, I'm, Very impressive. I'm a grill master. That's right. my... That's, that's my one household skill, I grill. Okay, so usually, you know, you light the grill, you walk away, let the grill heat up. For some reason, this time, I did not do that. And Doug, what did I see just below the grill grates? There's a mouse in the grill. <laughs> it appeared to be hot. So, like, I don't know what you would have done, but here's what I did. I screamed. I did. I, I, I'm one of the calmest people that you know, but I screamed. So, Doug, I, I, this is after this is like, after you turn the grill off, like down. No, <laughs> my, what Lisa, my wife said, turn the grill off. <laughs> but sorry, so like, have you ever had anything like that that happen? And what would you have done if that happened to you? I can't do the mouse thing in the grill. That's just that's not acceptable. Um, oh, God. You know, so we can't. Yeah, we can't have that. So yeah, but I yeah, grilling is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I mean, hot dogs, <laughs> cracker jacks. You know, throw it, we, we need to come up with a baseball. You got to grill cracker yeah, we jacks. Come up with a, well, you got to you know that'll attract mice. We need a we need a baseball <laughs> uh, recipe guide. Let's figure it out, man. Let's do it. Popcorn. You know, you, you know those old sure. poppers you could put over the heat. We got to come up with a baseball one. So you and I, Starkville product endorsed, uh, yeah. baseball friendly popper to go over your grill. No mice included. There you go. No, there'd be no, there'd be no mice rest, no barbecued mouse recipes. Nope. But I just, just to let you know how this turned out, uh, I do want to report we turned off the grill, and my wife, who is a true hero in a really challenging moment, she lifted up the grates, 
and sh- she just shooed this very confused and I believe <laughs> suntanned mouse on its way. All right. Anyway, that well, luckily that was not the highlight of my week last week. Uh, the highlight was we got to watch 18 postseason games in something like 80 hours. Mm-hmm. We had eight of them on Wednesday. Yep. At one point, we had five games going at the same time. Five. We, now we were kidding about this last week, but Doug, you tell me. Uh, like, how do you watch five games at the same time and not have all your brain cells just spontaneously combust? Well, very simple, Jay. I channel my inner parent, and my inner parent yeah. tells me that I've watched my four kids, ages four to 12, at the same time, all wanting different types of food, all like all over the place. And I just channel that, which really to me is the equivalent of watching 35 games at once. Uh, yeah. It's also, or watching four different sports, like basketball, football, then I'm going to throw in bocce ball and a hot dog eating contest. Okay, that, that's what it's like. <laughs> and of course, we're, we're doing all these on iPhones with picture in picture. Okay, so my inner parenting rejects the idea that this is difficult. I just say, you know what? This is my life. This is all good. I'm calm. And there's always instant replay. There's always, you know, a way to figure it out. So that's it. That's it. <laughs> and I just watch. Uh-huh. Yeah, because one thing you had going for you, it's good advice, by the way. Um, one thing you had going for you was you were in ESPN at the time, so you're in a room where there's a million TV screens and you can actually watch them. That helps. Now, if you're me in your house, you need many devices. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> I had the split screen on the MLB app going, had my iPad going, had my laptop going. When we got to five games, I, I just didn't know quite how I was going to handle that outside of a lot of mad uh, remote clicking but uh, it was it, it was fun. I do know that, uh, and challenging. And you know what else is challenging, Doug? Not just watching five games at once, but working while you're doing it, having having to really pay attention. And that's something that our special guest today is a genius at. So I say, let's bring him in now. Joining this week, my good friend the host of MLB Now on MLB Network, and the author of the runaway bestseller, Ahead of the Curve. It's the one, the only, Brian Kenny. Brian, welcome to Starkville, my friend. Thank you, Jason. Doug, good to be with you guys. That was a runaway bestseller, right? As far as I know. (laughs) (laughs) As far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Yeah, let's just go with that, huh? Uh, Brian, Doug, and I were just talking about how wild it is to try to watch so many postseason games at one time, like we did last week. You had to do that while you were actually on the air, anchoring MLB Tonight. And there's such an art to doing that show where you're trying to recap games that have already happened while you're also trying to watch games (laughs) that are still going on. How how would you describe that art of doing that? Um. Well, you kind of focus just to let people in on it. I mean, when we're assigned, they do a very good job at the network of having you pretty much focus on one game. So even though there's another game going on after you, I wasn't in a situation this time. I don't know, maybe it's happened in previous years, but not last week, where you pretty much were do you you were coming on right after a game because what you want is, and I do this when I'm at home. The moment a game ends, you want to find out, hey, what are the people thinking? What do they think of the manager moves? Let me flip over to MLB Network. So I was doing the post game for that. 
And I really wasn't, you know, then had to like do a post game for another game. And as you know, that's a different level of watching. When you're watching yeah. to do a post game, or you're just watching because, hey, it's the Twins. <laughs> it's, a, it's a totally different way of watching. So we weren't in a position where we've got to focus, you know, on, on two things. We have been in the past, and you just do your best, but you try to be aware of pitching changes. You're always talking to producers. Hey, why did they do that? Hey, how did he get in the game? Hey, why did this happen? So you, you try to stay up to date with the games up there, but you can't focus the way you would normally when you're doing a post game. Yeah, the, the whole the whole thing was just an amazing experience. We had five games going on at, at one time. I was actually trying to cover all eight games on, a, on in one day, with five going on at one time. <laughs> right? I, like I don't have enough brain cells to do that. It's so great though. You? you know, I, I think it's, it's it's great. No, it is. It's 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 um, it's way too much, but um, it, it was great for what it was, and I'm so glad. Let me just start with that that for this year they did the right thing because you remember it was like what day before were you on that show jason because we were sitting on the set i think it was day before the season started we were going on the air on mlb now and suddenly the thing hit at like a minute before or we went on the air so i had all this stuff written and i had an essay written and i started like ad living oh and by the way it's 16 teams now you know it's like <laughs> yeah. so it was it was really but i was so happy because I thought it was such a missed opportunity in this weird year that open it up. It's going to be two months. You're going to get small sample size stuff everywhere. Open it up. So I'll just just focus on that for, without even before going forward and everything. And I read your piece and I'm with you. But for this year, that was excellent. Let, let a ton of teams in this year. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that. Um, should they do this again? And if not, what should they do? Um, no, it, it dips down too deep. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a purist. I'm saying everything should be on the table. You know what I said at the network and, and people flipped out. No one wanted to hear it. I'm glad you're here now because you'll listen. Um, <laughs> you're famously open-minded. I'm setting you up. Um, yeah, everything right. should be on the table, including, including one team each league. How about have two leagues, the first place teams meet for the championship, and that's it. Oh, powerful, powerful. It's 1915 <laughs> baseball, right? But it's but that's but I'm saying that should be on the table too. Actually, I kind of like where we are now. The average second place wild card team is a 90 game winner. I think the average wild card team is a 92 or 93 game winner. This is over the last 10 years. I like that bottom end of the playoffs being excellent teams, and that's 90 to 92, 93 wins. You go below that, you know, you're you're you're. I know that's the way it's headed. But I'm not crazy about it. I kind of like five teams in each. I think it kind of works. And, I, and, I, and you know, another thing I learned in this, a best of three or a one game, is there a difference? Like, is there a difference? Yeah, the wanna, randomness? Wanna, is there a difference? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so either. I definitely want to get into this. Um, <laughs> like, you raised so much, so many different uh, topics there. I don't know where <laughs> to go first, but um, – I, I think we better start with this. You realize that if you went with two teams, you'd be sacrificing like a billion dollars. No, but, what, but, but <laughs> probably would you? more. Like, but would you? Like, I mean, is it? Let's let's back it up. We always think that, but the national pastime became the national pastime when that was the system, and it was the biggest sport, you know, in the country. Also, when you're going to ESPN, TBS, Fox, and you're selling your package, um. Is it necessarily predicated on the playoff rounds? 
what if it just became a bigger number <laughs> all is? through the year? I could well, become well, that. Wait, but does wait it a second. I don't know. Hold on a second. You've got TV contracts with four networks televising these games, right? Mm-hmm. ESPN, Fox, TBS, MLB Network. Would they each televise two and a half innings? How would this work? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's problematic at present. Right? They <laughs> sold is. those packages as, as such. All right, so granted, and there's no going back to that. We know that. But I'm saying it would put more emphasis on the regular season, which it used to be. Otherwise, look, Jason, like the other far end isn't 16 teams. The other far end is start playing tournament baseball in May. <laughs> right, like, Rob, okay, Rob. you played one month. Now let's go to the playoffs and play. I just keep playing playoffs. <laughs> well, we all know. Well, no, that cheapens everything. So there's yeah. always a cost. I'm just saying there's always a cost when you say, you know, more cotton candy, more playoffs, more playoff well, action. This is wonderful. Yay. But. You, you, after a while, your teeth rot. You have no nutrition. You can't live on just the cotton candy tournament baseball all the time. Well, BK, too, it's like the – well, the other challenge of the smaller teams is the fact that teams get knocked out sooner, right? And we've always been trying to discuss the idea of, of tanking and positioning for draft pick. So how do you balance all that, right? What is the, the sweet spot? Because the, the purity of the game, you want to make sure teams are good who make the playoffs. But then you have this other side of the, the tactical side that teams start to look sooner sometimes to next year. I mean, and that's you, been you, a challenge. You're, no, you're right. And if you're finding the sweet spot, it's probably where? 87 to 88 wins, right? And so maybe the solution, if we're talking pragmatically, is I'm at the purest level, even though I'm into you know two wild card teams and I'm, in f- I'm at five now in each league, right? The, the system that we had as of 2019. If you add one more, if you add two more, maybe you get to 87, 88 win teams. That's not mediocre. That's good. It's not great, but it's good. And now you're bringing into your point. I like that too, Doug, this year. I like that, you know, the Mets were still hanging around, the Giants, <laughs> the Reds. Like there were these teams that were suddenly really passionate about, you know, trying to make the playoffs. I mean, I think we're going to have – one or the other. We're going to have either a 12-team or a 14-team next year. I doubt we'll have 16. But, I, I mean, I know you said that you don't like the idea of all the focus on mediocre teams going down the stretch. I can tell you, people in baseball love that. I want you to think about the last day of this season. Last day of the year, everybody playing their final game at the same time. We did not have a single first round matchup that had been determined yet not one like so they love that and i understand why yeah i do too and yet now here's the other side um imagine last year you had just one american league again i'm going extreme i know we're not doing this but one american league you would have had quite the september with houston right 107 win Astros, 103 win Yankees, 100 and whatever win Twins. Imagine an actual three-way race beginning of September where you have clearly three juggernauts and all your focus is on the monster teams. Yeah, hey, 1993, I followed the Giants around in September that year. Okay, and the 103 win Giants did not advance. And the last weekend of that season, they had a four-game series with the Dodgers, Dodgers, right? And the Braves, I don't remember who the Braves were playing, but the Braves were back east, the Giants were out west. So every day, the Braves would win, 
the Giants had to win. And they did on Thursday. They did on Friday. They did on Saturday. Only on Sunday, they didn't. And they went home. Well, they uh, got crushed. The last... Then they got crushed. It was that, like 12 that, that to go... 2. Or... It was something that bad. That didn't go well. It was like they, they, they pitched a guy who hadn't pitched the whole year or something. Who... Well, Solomon it, Torres it, pitched that day. Yeah, and they got him Can't back, though, like uh, next year or so. The Giants says, now you know how we felt when the Dodgers knocked us out. <laughs> yeah, well. Anyway, we, we digress. Um, you, you mentioned the best of three also. Um, and... I, I know that people in baseball want to get away from the one-game shootout, okay? But uh, my sense from the story I wrote last week that you that you referred to and what we learned from the first round is people in these front offices in baseball, they hate the best of three just as much as they hate the best of one. But can you go best of five and best of seven for four rounds and get done before Thanksgiving? No, and it dilutes it too much. But I think what I learned that I didn't know, I thought a best of three would be just a lot more proper. And maybe it was. Like, who came back? Like, the Padres came back, right? And the A's came back. They did. Right? So yeah. um, that's, that's two out of eight. Um, right. So maybe that points out that we shouldn't be so hasty. That in a one-game playoff, they'd be done. You give... You know, at one point, Fernando Tatis had, what, left 10 men on base, was over for <laughs> <Right>. whatever. <laughs> Looked like, this kid stinks. What a choker. And then, boom, boom, boom. Give him a second game. Um, I'm convincing myself already. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm convincing myself. You know what? I like it. You know what else I like? Play three straight at the home, at that home field, three in a row, blast. <sighs> You know, I changed my mind mid mid sentence. <laughs> I like it better. <laughs> Think about it. The A's should have been cooked, and oh, the sad A's again. They still they can never win in the playoffs. Nope, nope. They came back and won. Oh, Tatis. It turns out disappointing rookie. Couldn't get it done when the stakes were the highest. No, no, no. Just give him a few more bats. Yeah, best of three. I'm sold. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let's think of the alternative. I mean, the Twins had a great team. You know, they had the best record in the American League in September. They got swept by the Astros, a team with a losing record. Is just given the the first place team those three home games? Is that enough? I mean, you're I don't know that you're rewarding great teams enough if that's all you're doing for. Them. Well, yeah, no, you could be right. What would you do? Give you want to buy? Well, there's the I mean, there's what they do in Korea. The first place team only has to win once. The second place team, the wild card team, has to win twice. That's wacky, though. Uh, that's <laughs> wacky. I know I heard that, but that's oh, really weird. And oh, no, yeah, oh, no, you, you would you would never go for the wacky. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, Why not? It sounds very sounds very junior college baseball, doesn't it? I mean, I, 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 and I like junior college baseball, but it doesn't seem like that. You go up Dutchess County versus Ulster with the right to play Herkimer. Come on, no, what are the, you doing? The KBO, that's those are our heroes now. Let's do whatever they do. Um, all right, we got to think of something. Here's I'm going to ask you about something that we've seen in this postseason that is right up your alley. Like we talk all the time about the three true options mm-hmm. on your show. I I mean I took a look at this again. It's it's really the one true option. It's swinging and missing. It's strikeouts. The strikeout rate is just exploding. The Reds had a game where they struck out twenty one and lost. <laughs> so this is I mean when we talk about where baseball is going, I think this is one of the biggest worries. Is the there's just not enough 
action. There's not enough balls in play. And it's one thing if Max Scherzer is striking out 17. If nine pitchers come in and strike out 17 that day, that's not a good product. So what's your solution, my friend? Uh, Yeah, we've talked about this on MLB Now and Clubhouse Confidential, its predecessor, since we got on the air on MLB (laughs) Network. And it was like it was one of our first things. I wrote wrote a lot of essays about it. And that's when I think the three true outcomes was at like 31 percent. And we're about 36 percent now, if I'm not mistaken, and higher in the playoffs. The ball's got to get back in play. I would just say this, like to open everybody's mind to this, that something needs to be done. Watch like uh, some late 70s baseball. Like you don't have to go back to dead ball days. You don't have to like harken back to the day when triples were being hit and there was no outfield fences and you know, had to be fleet of foot and daring do on the base pass and all that stuff. You don't even have to go back to that. Go watch some Dusty Baker and the Dodgers against Ron Guidry and the Yankees, like 77 or 78 World Series. The ball is in play all the time. The, pl- the, the, the hitters are swinging all the time. The guys are in the box right away. They're not wasting time. I'm not talking 1930s, you know, 1910. I'm talking 1977, 1978. Guys were in the box. The game was moving. The ball was being hit. Guys were running. Baseball's exciting when the ball's in play. It's amazing what happens. Like when guys are running around, it's exciting. Ball to the gap. I know kids don't even know what's the, what happens. Uh, there's a guy that catches the ball in between. It's a relay, kids. You know, you, 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 never, you rarely see it. Jason, we have examples of, of teams now. I've heard um, someone wrote about this like just this week that like a ball wasn't in play for like 40 minutes in a, in a, in a single game. I might be making yes. that up. But I know uh, the ball's just not being hit. I was at a ball game. This was like two, three years ago with my mother-in-law. And she was uh, like in her upper 80s at the time. And she was sitting there and it was the second inning, like the bottom of the second. And uh, one of the Yankees hit a hard foul ball. It was cracked and he hit a foul ball. It's hard. And I heard my mother-in-law go, ooh. And I was like, oh. <laughs> like she was excited. And you know why she was excited? I hadn't thought about it. I'm focusing on the pitch sequencing and all this other stuff. She was excited because the ball was hit. The ball hadn't been hit hard until the bottom of the second inning. I mean, it hadn't been like really whack. I mean, there was a weak ground ball. There were strikeouts. There were walks. There was everything. The ball's not being hit. And when the ball is hit, we all go, ooh, it's exciting. So we have to do something. Deaden the ball. Lengthen the, the, the distance between the mound and home plate. Bill James has said you could move the batter's box back. You could do what you, but something we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to go back to a deader ball is what is going to do it because the ball has got to get back in play. Yeah. Well, and BK, I mean, I think it's some of the questions, all right, the velocity going, the increase in velocity, but is it just sort of the physicality or is it just a point of emphasis, right? Because, you know, I'm sure, yeah. you know, I played with Schilling, for example, and he's like, look, I could throw, 98 when I needed to, but I could do it like three times a game or something. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're like, hey, I'm only going four. Who cares, right? So, so, so is there a solution in there that just sort of shifts the focal point from the culture of the game where you're where you're saying, okay, let's now change how we actually see what starters can do or how far pitchers are going to stay in the game. When you have 14 pitchers on your roster, then yeah, you could mix and match. And so I always wonder is there is there's a sort of you know one of the questions is life imitating analytics or is it the other way mm-hmm. around right and how do but we I think, fix that i think you're um you're rowing your boat against the tide of the ocean and the tide of the ocean is the massive incentives 
for every kid and every mom and dad to pop the mitt. Because mm-hmm. what gets you promoted, what gets you paid, what gets you on the varsity team, what gets you drafted, what gets you moving up, popping the mitt. So, Doug, how do you stop that? Because I've had these conversations many times with John Smoltz and Al Leiter. I said, how do you stop that at the grassroots level where it's wide? It's not like, hey, we'll change the culture. Change the culture. Every kid out there knows you guys talk a good game about pitch like Mark Burley. Learn how to pitch. And no one cared when I was winning every game and I was the best pitcher in my league. You cared when I hit, when I popped 94. That's when everyone started showing up. And that kid would be right. So you got to combat that. So I don't know if you can just do that with changing the culture or things at the major league level because grassroots all the way up, and I'm talking college minors all the way up, what sells, what gets you paid, what gets you promoted, velocity, and then on the other side, your tools crack of the bat. So everyone says, hey, learn how to choke up with two strikes. Screw that, every kid in the country says. That's not what you guys really want, and it's not what you guys really want. Right. And what is that? So what is that X factor? You know, I was, I was writing an equation to Jason today about, you know, winning or slash analytics plus X equals entertainment, right? Because that's, that's the, the tension. Uh, you know, as he said, you know, I, for example, I had a student in my class at Yale that plays basketball, got drafted, and he's with the Utah Jazz System. And I watched the developmental leagues and all they did is go down the court and shoot three-pointers. They like pull up. There could be nobody <laughs> under the hoop. Right? They were just like, I'm shooting threes. And, and so we have that. And, and, but there is a lot of power, right, in Major League Baseball. There's a lot of power uh, to do things. Like you said, you know, we're about, you know, Bob Gibson, we're going to talk about him. Like they lowered the mound. It was extreme. But is there something that could sort of, you know, change that so maybe it does come, become cultural? Well, one thing is definitely pitch clock. Got to get a pitch clock in there. I, it's stunning it hasn't been done so far. That would Because a pitcher, obviously, every player is working in his short-term self-interest. So every pitcher, if he can take 30 seconds standing out there, let his arm recover, let him recover, let him recover, and then full velocity, he's going to do it. So to your point, Doug, and it's a good one, can you adjust the rosters to incentivize longer starts like maybe like this they were tying it to the dh right that's one idea that as long as your pitcher is in there uh you have a dh the moment you go to the relief core now your pitchers have to hit this is my role is that your role good (laughs) i've written this someone thought of that some smart guy thought about that yeah it was you um i like that i'm just saying think of the incentives that would push everyone in that direction sort of forcing them there with a rule incentivize them to move toward that and also, you know, pitch clock move faster um, and then try to implement things that will encourage, uh, you know, more pitching. But I'm saying I don't know if that all does it. I think it is physicality, incentives, and uh, you have to change the game. And that, that and to get it away from, you, you know, three-point ball, now we're playing home run derby and strikeout derby. And I think you have to – I think we're going to have to deaden the ball or do something drastic or move the mound back to actually get the strikeouts per nine below, you know, nine. Yeah. You know, this idea that Doug just brought up, um, how a lot of the stuff that makes for great baseball strategy does not make for great entertainment strategy. Right. Uh, this is something, Hey, we talk about all the time on your show. Um, but the last time I was on, we had a disagreement. 
about something that I wanted to get back to. Seven inning baseball game. <laughs> oh, right? Like this was something. Yeah, why we didn't have much time to get that? into this. Yeah, which no, what's wrong with you? Well, well, all right. <laughs> hold on, hold on, wait a second. Hold on one second. Here. <laughs> yeah, you, like you just rebelled against. Uh, like what were we just talking about? You didn't want to make some drastic change in the rules but you're cool with nine inning games turning into seven inning games just because it entertains you yes yes i am that's what i'm saying (laughs) look and that that's the beauty of this year is we saw a lot of things just thrown out there and i think i think i liked almost every single one except for the obvious one which is the dh i don't like the dh i actually want to see managers have to think it through and deal with a pitcher hitting. So I like National League Baseball, and I know that's going away. You're all going to win. Fine. Go ahead. Um, but that's the one thing I don't like. But everything else, even the three the three batter minimum, which I didn't like at all, seeing it being played out this year where your pitcher can at least end an inning if he doesn't face three, it's fine. It's fine. It's actually probably a, it is a little better for the game. So even though I don't like the artificial implementation on strategy and restriction on strategy – it was fine. And I'm saying, I saw seven inning game. Even now, I'm, if, if I look up now in the playoffs and it was like, I'm looking at my kitchen TV. That's what So I have it on in here as I'm walking around and I see fifth inning. Oh, I got a lot of time. And this season, for the first time, I went fifth inning. Oh, it's on. Wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> no flipping to a movie. No, let me get the, you know, the, 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 the towels out of the dryer. No, no. Fifth inning. Pay attention. It's on. So I love seven inning baseball. Yeah, there, there are other ways to do this. Pitch clock, I'm good with that. Do both. Pitch clock. Do keep, both. Keep, do that keep too. Your, batters have to stay in the box. Let's <laughs> do, do yes. that. Sold and sold. Right. Done. Right. Yes. There's like there's a, there's a lot of ways to improve pace, rhythm. But let's not go here. I told you this on the show, but like my favorite thing about baseball is the ability to connect the dots between what you're watching today and what somebody watched 50 years ago. And like all the seven inning complete games offended me. The seven inning shutouts <laughs> but Jason, offended me. You, Aaron Nola pitched a seven inning shutout this year and said, it doesn't count. I don't even want it. It was his first career <laughs> shutout. Thank God nobody pitched seven hitless innings. Uh, and, but, right? You know, that would like you could pitch a seven inning shutout and give up no hits, and it would not have counted as a no hitter. This is like he wouldn't it, even have been allowed to pitch God, nine innings. Doug, he's turned into Mad Dog Russo. He's just yelling at me. Um, <laughs> uh, Wait a second. I just want to point something out. You know better than anyone, Jason, that baseball has cha- changes decade by decade. It's never the same. And Burt Blylevin had, I believe, what did I say? I, I said on the show one time. I got it way wrong. I think he had. I think Burt Blylevin had fifty-eight shutouts. Is he that much better than than um, uh, than Max Scherzer because he's got so many more shutouts? No, you put it in context for the times and g- say goodbye to shutouts. Um, and you know who cares? Um, but as far as a seven, a, how about this? If you play select double headers, and you make those seven innings, and it's just kind of like your Sunday game, you know. And they used to always be Sunday double headers, except they're seven innings, and they're just much more palatable. I, I, I don't know. I think I think a seven inning window with a pitch clock, with batters staying in the box. Now you might make a two and a half hour game into. Brace yourself, a two-hour game. Imagine a two-hour baseball game. And Jason, you know they used to play two-hour World Series games. It can be done. 
I, I know for me, let's take the ghost runner, or, or you know, I call it the base angel, right? The extra inning <laughs> runner, like teleporting out of like the the third, you know, close encounters of the third kind, right? <laughs> so, and I and and I think to some degree, I, I get it, and I get the whole idea of why we chose to implement it. But I also feel like there's a degree that we back into things, right? Because, and I, I'm always worried about that. You know, it's like, okay, we, well, we're not gonna go nine, so we have to go seven to create this. And maybe that over generations, it becomes normalized. But in the beginning of it, it feels like we're backing into it. So for example, part of the issue with the ghost runner is that we are so dependent on bullpens now that we have to think, oh my goodness, I don't wanna go extra innings because I'm gonna blow out my pitching staff. Because we're so far removed from having the nine inning guy that we have to think in these little pieces. So we're like, okay, well, we can't go 13 innings. We're going to run out of pitchers. And so we've kind of backed into it. And and I worry that, you know, with the chance that we have now to innovate, that we may it may end up backing into a lot of things and not actually challenge our, us to reconsider how we could sort of project the, the game itself, right? The culture of the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm processing all of that. Um, I'm a big fan of extra innings. Like, just uh, I, I thought uh, again. I, I like the drama of that, um, and I think it is a good TV product. Part of what you're saying too is you have to balance the in-stadium product, those fans, and those are your those are your real fans that are going to the games, and your TV audience, which is where they make most of their money now. And so, I I, I will admit. If I go to a major league game, I don't want a seven-inning game. I want a nine-inning game. I've made the investment to get there, sit there, and now there's so many entertainment things and food is better. I And the stadium is, stadiums are nicer than when we were growing up, certainly. You want to spend – spending three hours there is not an issue. Three and a half at the stadium if you're there physically. Watching it on TV is different. So – yeah, I, there's there's kind of on-field product and then entertainment product, but I know this like the ball not being in play and three and a half hour games, that eventually chokes the chokes the sport out. Eventually, the sport just diminishes a long time. I I think uh, where it's just not an it's not a spectacle. You're already baseball's not a spectacle as compared to the NBA, as compared to football, as compared to MMA and boxing. It's not a spectacle. So you've got to get some, you've got to really have high level, as much action as you possibly can on the field, which ironically was much more in the 1910s and 20s and 30s than it is now. Like baseball was much more exciting then in the olden days than it is now. So that's two things that you've got to try to, to ride. And what I'm saying is the seven inning game makes for a much better TV product. And there's got to be a way of getting that in. With with pitch clocks, I'm gonna say no. Don't don't get the pace of play. Get the pace of play in there and do seven innings. And I think that's a real digestible entertainment. Probably I hate to put it that way, but it's just a digestible part of your day. Where two hours I watched the ball game, and then I was, and then I could take the kids, you know, to soccer practice. I had all this time, and I could, I could do it. Now I want to watch tomorrow night as well. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. 
Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, we're not, we're not going anymore down this seven-inning game rabbit hole, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not. But I do want to talk about the glory days a little bit because, um, sadly, the late, great Bob Gibson passed away over the weekend and um look brian you and i share a love of cooperstown and the hall of fame you were also the master of ceremonies on hall of fame sunday on induction weekend so when bob gibson passes away al kaline passes away lou brock tom siever uh this is personal for you so what what were your interactions like with bob gibson Oh, and, and Frank Robinson, it seems like, too. Frank right? Robinson's right. It was another. Like, what it a just, year. Um, it, it, you know, that generation, it's funny, Jason, because, like, my my interactions with uh, with the players, with the all-time greats, it's so different with the younger guys um, and then the older guys. Because no matter what, Al Kaline was my baseball card. Hank Aaron, you know, yeah. was my baseball card when I was a kid. So when I see them, I just kind of stand back. You know, as much as great as Ken Griffey was and Mike Piazza was, I go up and go, hey, you know, it's very <laughs> different. You know, hey, what's up? And we joke, we talk, and it's very different. And um, so, yeah, it it it, it is uh, it is personal. It's poignant. It's uh, you know, I've been going to the Hall of Fame ceremony since the late '80s, and these guys were the legends. These guys were giants, and. I'll say this first, like the nicest part of being, you know, part of that family in Cooperstown as a fan, then as a sportscaster, now as the master of ceremonies, was just meeting these giants and then getting to know them a little bit and even feeling better about them. You know, when you meet people like Stan Musial and Brooks Robinson and Hank Aaron, um, Harmon Killebrew, uh, you know, one after these, these all-time greats, uh, and then you you just said, "Geez, these are great guys too. This is terrific." You just, you, it's it's such a good feeling, and it's not always going to be that way. Sometimes you meet your legends and the heroes, and it doesn't feel that way. But in Cooperstown, it feels more often than not, it does give you that feeling. You do have a good feeling about meeting these legends of the game and these guys who are just human beings. They're there with their wives and their the kids, and then the grandkids and. 
Um, I think about that, you know, it wasn't all that long ago, you know, at, at the Hall of Fame, Stan Musial was playing his harmonica. Yogi was walking through the lobby, you know, with the whole Barra clan. And, you know, now they're, you know, they're gone. And I can't even imagine that Lou Brock isn't coming back. I can't imagine that Bob Gibson isn't coming back. Um, you know, Bob, and Gibson and Frank Robinson were similar in that you, you approached gingerly. I know you probably did the same, where, uh, but you have enormous respect for these guys. But if you came up and you had an actual question, you had an actual job to do, or it was something related to what you needed to do, uh, they were they were terrific. But I know I always just like with Sandy Koufax too. It was you know you just you, you just kind of you know with respect <laughs> you move you move toward them. And there is that kind of that that wall where they've been dealing with the public a long time. They're in that legendary status. They're they're a little wary. And you have to try to break down that barrier. And uh, it's wonderful when you do. And yeah, and so I, I, I can't believe, you know, having an iced tea with Al Kaline out on the porch and he'd be talking about sabermetrics and, you know, oh, th these things that you love, Brian. And I'm thinking, Al Kaline is talking baseball with me, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, and Kaline was pure class, you know, Gibson, pure class. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it marks the time. Um, you know, more than most things. You're going back every year and you see the younger Hall of Famers become the older Hall of Famers. And uh, I've had so many conversations with Bob Feller, you know, and, you know, that can't happen anymore. So it, it's, it is poignant to see it year after year. And it seems like we had a lot of loss this year in particular. Boy, no doubt. You know, you, you kind of alluded to that presence, that foreboding presence that Gibson had uh, over the weekend. MLB Network showed Gibson's 17 strikeout game from the 68 World Series. I watched quite a bit of that. It was electrifying, you know. But here's a thought I had while watching it. Bob Gibson had a look, right? He had this, this look every second he was on the mound and it said, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to crush you. If I drill you in the ribs with the next pitch, I don't care. <laughs> and that look was part of his greatness. Um, and like we, you know, we love numbers. We share that. But isn't that look proof that there are certain aspects to greatness that you, you just can't measure with any number? Um, yes and no. Like it makes me think. Well, like what does it produce? And, um, you know, probably you look at it and I think we've looked at this before, like Bob Gibson actually didn't hit a lot of guys, right? He didn't, he didn't hit guys. He never led the league in hit batters. Yeah, he, he, right. he might've thrown inside quite a bit and you knew, but you, I know what you're saying. You knew don't, me don't mess, right? Don't mess. Don't hang <laughs> no. over the plate. Don't, don't embarrass me. Don't, don't do that. Um, and the same thing with like, you know, I was looking up like players that we gauge as winning players and I hate, you know, bring back to Frank Robinson again. When you dig deeper, you can see how many times did a guy reach uh, on an error? How many times did a guy advance and take a base on a passed ball or a wild pitch? How many extra bases did they take, you know, on singles going, you know, two bases instead of one or maybe three bases first to home? And what I found was Frank Robinson was a monster at that stuff. And so that, that, that same sort of like high level of competitiveness uh, and by the way, Al Kaline was, was very similar. Roberto Clemente, like that, guys who got after it. And that's what we admire. And I think what we're saying about Gibson is the same thing. Just this incredible drive and competitive nature. It was something that, you know, inspired awe from the people around them. 
Yeah, what what pitcher has that look now? I, to me, Scherzer's the the guy that comes to mind, right? He's he just got this look in his face, like I am going to stay out here until I strike out twenty three. <laughs> oh, Randy Johnson, Randy Johnson was definitely that. Uh-huh. He was oh, yeah. scowling at you, and oh yeah, that was well. Was that's a, but and and what Gibson did just that won't happen to your complete games point. You know that he had nine postseason games and and eighty one innings. And I remember even in Cooperstown when I said to him, I said, wow, in every game you went nine innings. And he goes, no, 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 no. And I had to look it up. And I realized, oh, he went 10 in one and eight in another. <laughs> I, but I, I immediately corrected. I was like, oh, really? Damn, I had to look. I was like, oh, man, I had corrected by Bob Gibson. Because it, 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 it was so symmetrical. Nine, nine postseason games. And I'm well, it's up my head. I should look it up now. I think that's right. Right, Jason? 81 innings. It is. Not, nine, not, nine games. Right. Right. Nine starts through every pitch of every game. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I read a lot about Gibson over the weekend. Uh, when he was on the Hall of Fame ballot, 64 voters did not vote for him. <laughs> like, that makes me cringe. I know he wasn't that era, nice. Though. That was a different year, wasn't that? I mean. I know, but you, how many thousands of words in your book did you get out of that? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Sports writers being. Yeah, that was. But, but I understand it was like that people could say that about DiMaggio, too. He didn't make it the first time around, which is ludicrous. But. <laughs> The vote was different to defend your brethren at the time. The vote was Thank just you. different at the time. And of course, it makes no sense. To, you, you, uh, Harmon Killebrew didn't get in on the first ballot, did he? I mean, it's like, <laughs> there's all sorts of weird things and that nobody vote and nobody was unanimous. Hank Aaron wasn't unanimous. Willie Mays wasn't unanimous. That makes no <laughs> sense. Ex- that, that still makes no sense. All right, so I'm not going to defend you, guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't get that at, at all. But Gibson... Um, you know, as you know, there's no excuse. You know, there's no excuse. <laughs> Boy, that, def- that defense of the brethren didn't last long. Yeah, no, I tried, Doug. I tried my best. It didn't work. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I, I'm gonna. Here's another thing that another way that you've like warped me for life, Brian. <laughs> One of your favorite things on your show is that hit or error game. What, what do you call it? America's most popular? It game? is. It's America's most uh, you know, favorite game <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah. yeah, it's so <laughs> beloved. Um, all right, I'm going to admit something to you. You've, you. Like, you've changed my entire experience of watching all sports now. Right, we now have every sport going at once. So this is Sunday night. I'm flipping back and forth between the NFL and the NBA Finals. There's no baseball to watch. All right, Carson Wentz throws a just a simple swing pass four feet over his running back's head. I'm laughing. I'm thinking, shouldn't he get an error for that? <laughs> like Ray John Rondo bobbles a pass and messes up a fast break. That's an error. No, they don't have errors in those sports. So see what you've done. But maybe that illustrates what you're talking about. Like, why are we still assigning errors in baseball? The other sports don't do it. It makes no sense. This is like the pitcher win, (laughs) the individual pitching win. Remember when that used to be a thing before I killed that? Yeah, pretty much. Before you killed that? that (laughs) Killed it dead. Yeah, killed it. It's gone. (laughs) Jason, it's like barely referred to now. I mean, it's amazing. As opposed to when I arrived at MLB Network, and it was just always bandied about. And... We all knew, and Harold Reynolds forced me to do this, because every night, and this was 2012, every night, you know there's going to be a hard luck pitcher that he went eight innings, gave up one run, didn't get the win. Like, and Doug, you know that, right? That happens. But what would stun you is when you actually follow it every single day, how often it happens. I thought it happened here and there, a hard luck pitcher. It's like almost half the time. 
And you're thinking, no, there's no way it's half the time. No, no, seven innings, two runs, it's about half the time you get a win. Half. That's, a, that's better than a quality start. And yet it's about half. It's, there's so much randomness to it. Why are we assigning you know, value to that statistic when it's, there's so much noise around it? There's, it's like half noise, half signal. Get rid of it. Now, with the error, same thing. I thought, okay, sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's an error. It's hard to figure out. And, and, but when you actually start playing hit or error, America's favorite game show, you start doing it every day. And I don't do it every day just to spare people because I don't do that. It's a, it could get, it'll drive people nuts. But I could do it every single day. And there's, there, there isn't, you know, like each week, I would say, there aren't, you know, five plays that are difficult. There's like a hundred plays that could go either way that if I put you in a room with Brooks Robinson and Ozzie Smith themselves <laughs> and every, and Doug and you and every, and we could just sit there. Is that a hit or an error? We'll all disagree and agree. So what are we doing? Like, why are we, and you know, again, to point out historically to everyone, errors were put into the record books, you know, as a part of the box score when the, the game was either a single or a muffed ball by a guy who didn't even have a glove, you know, like you didn't have a glove. You're playing in, you know, in, in fields that had clumps of, you know, cow manure on it. You know, there was like, you couldn't expect to pick it cleanly. There were at, in, at one point in the 1800s, 12 errors per game at the major league level, 12. 12. So when there's, I, I would, I would grant you when there's 12 errors a game, all right, you got to count them. There's a lot. There's now one, there's one error per game in a major league game. One. So and and that one, I would say half of them could go either way, and you never know. We all think, what if it clangs off the shortstop's glove? Yes, that's the obvious one. When you calculate them and you follow it, you realize that's one in in forty. So what are we doing? It's a, if you strike the ball and you're on first base, it's a base hit. I'm done. I, I mean, a quick story I told is. I interviewed Albert Amora, Amora Jr. in spring training, and I went and I went into this exciting thing about how Jimmy Pearsall taught me about jumps, and I had the lean, and I was already in motion when the ball was in the zone, and I so I was asking him about jumps, and he's like, "What are you talking about? I'm already there." I was like, <laughs> "Right," because he's he's positioned. Right. So it's like your your requirement, you know, it's now this like sing, this monolith, like kind of single organism, of mm -hmm. okay, we're moving together and we're covering as much co uh, ground as possible collectively. And so it's, I think to some degree, it's taken away from the individuality of it, uh, which also kind of makes it hard to attribute that error to that person, right? right. Because your positioning, and I think you mentioned range, it's also misplaying balls. I could run thinking it's this way and I, I don't even touch the ball and it's a triple, but if I actually make the right angle and get there and drop it, I'm actually punished by it. Right? No, of course. Oh, and, and Doug, the oldest trick in the book is we play this on hit or error all the time and, and and you know this, Jason. It's like if I was a major league outfielder, anytime I wasn't catching the ball, I would go, ah, I would steal my <laughs> eyes from the sun and I'd flip my sunglasses and look at them and go, oh, oh there's more. What happened? And I'd never have an error because I, I, I'll ask guys on the set, I'm like, wait, that ball almost hit him in the head. It hopped in, it was a, a ground rule double. I said, how is that not an error? And they're like, well, the, the sun got in his eyes. Yeah, but he knows the sun is there. It's been there all day. It's going to be there tomorrow too, God willing. So like, you can't, like, it's amazing what we just, you know, let guys away with. I'll say this too. And Jason, you know this, I'm much more lax on there. I'm not saying, oh, fielders, he's a major leaguer. He's got to make this play. I'm saying, no, we're all human. We're all going to make some misplays now and then. 
get over it. It's not that many. And we somehow forgive it, as Doug said, when you don't touch it or the sun gets in your eyes or the wind blew it or it hit you in the head and went over the fence as opposed to your glove. We make up all these like random sort of excuses that make no sense. Just get rid of it. Make it, make it part of the batting average and the on-base percentage. We see. I mentioned run, you know reach on an error for Frank Robinson. By the way, Brooks Robinson, same thing. Derek Jeter, Robin Yount, Cal Ripken. You hit the ball hard and you run well, you're rewarded. And you'll routinely ha- reach on an error more times than an average player. We should be rewarding those players on their on-base and batting average. <laughs> Doug, I checked. You had 22 errors in your career. If BK were in charge, that'd be zero. Oh, beautiful. Zero, baby. <laughs> thousand fielding zero. percentage. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, do you, hey, do you, do you, you want to... Like since you've uh, banished the win and banished the error, you want to look at losses now. Uh, we had Tim Kirkson last week, and we were laughing about the Twins Reds game, the final game of the year. Are you are you aware of this one? No. Um, I, the this is the last game of the year. The Twins and Reds go extra innings, game sixty, and the losing pitcher for the Twins that day is Caleb Fieldbar. I'm going to recap his day for you. <laughs> he comes in to pitch the ninth tie game. One, two, three inning with a strikeout. Game still tied. He goes back out there in the 10th. He's got a runner on second to keep him company now. Gets the first runner out in the first hitter out in the 10th. They take him out. They bring in Sergio Romo, who allows four straight hitters to reach oh, base. It was his who run. gets the loss? Oh, it was Caleb Philbar. Got the loss. Ah, I Not, love it. The, I love it. You do love it? I love it. We got to do something about it. this. We right. both like the rule, but yeah, no, help. Losses are God. Jason, pay no. That's my, my point with, and I wrote this in Ahead of the Curve, was like, here's what you do with wins and losses. Just pretend it didn't even happen. Ignore it. It's gone. <laughs> Makes no sense. Just forget it. All right. So we're just not going to take anything seriously anymore. Right? No, no, right, well, no. One more. Oh, no. Innings and runs matter. Wins, losses, okay. individual. Just, no, it doesn't matter. It was something right. from the 1880s when it was one guy. By the way, wins and losses were the earliest form of sabermetrics because there used to be one pitcher that pitched for you every game because they, you, you couldn't bring the ball up above your shoulder. You couldn't snap your wrist because you were there just to deliver the ball to the batter so he could hit it. When they started saying, hey, why don't we let the pitcher pitch a little more, bring the, the ball up, you can snap your wrist, you can throw it hard. Now you're trying to get the batter out. He, if you're throwing harder, you needed different pitchers. And they realized that on different days, they were better than other days because the pitcher was better. And they tried to, again, hey, let's, um, let's give credit to, you know, uh, the days that our, uh, our better pitchers are pitching. And that guy, you know, the, the old Irishman, he's, we seem to be better when he's pitching. Let's give it, to, give it to him. So they started to give, this guy deserves credit for the win. He did most of the work. And that's early sabermetrics, isolating production. And it made sense in 1878. It no longer makes sense. One last thing before we let you go. What is the most Brian Kenny series coming up this week in the division series? Is it A's Astros? Is it Rays Yankees? What's the nerdiest, most deep thinking, data driven matchup going now? Oh, there's no question. It's Yankees, Rays. I mean, um, because the, the Rays are still doing some mystical things, um, oh, yeah. and that's being more than the sum of their parts. Um, and they're because look at their lineup, they're not that good. Like, there's no way, even though the pitching staff, obviously, but it's their collective attack. Obviously, they're 
the looks that their relief pitchers give, different looks, um, di- a variety of, of pitches, variety of pitchers. Uh, their starters are excellent anyway. But when you look at their lineup and you look at their position players, if you just looked at that, you would think they would not be able to compete with the biggest teams that are out there, Yankees, Dodgers, etc. But they can because their pieces go together well. Ver- versatile defensively, um, players that um, kind of complement each other's skill sets in ways that I'm not sure we all understand yet. So anytime you're better than the sum of your parts, you say, well, you can't quantify that. I don't know, maybe we can't quantify that yet, or maybe they have an understanding of something that we don't yet. So that to me is the most fascinating because uh, you know, we just get to this point where um, this year, at least, it was like, oh, the Yankees want no part of the Rays because the Rays own the Yankees. I'm like, that should not be happening. As much as I'm a Rays guy, <laughs> love the team at the vanguard of the revolution, I'm, and I asked Aaron Boone about this. We called uh, you know, a Yankees-Rays game uh, on MLB Now this year. And he had that to say. He said their pieces go together and make sense, and there's, there's very little duplication. So everything goes together, and they start matching you up, and they can play different opponents in different ways. So they're like, they're the jujitsu masters here, <laughs> and they're doing things that the big guy is only starting to understand. Yeah, I, you know, I was watching a Rays game uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I said to a friend of mine, a fellow member of the Brethren, it feels when they get late in the game like they have 50 players. You know, they just have a player (laughs) or a pitcher for every occasion. It's amazing the way that team is put together. I would just say that Yankee Rays game was a perfect example where it was uh, where the Yankees had uh, Paxton pitching. It was the last game Paxton pitched. It was a left-hander. And when they went to right hand, when they went to the relief core, they went to right-handers. Aaron Boone and the Yankees went to the right-handed relief core. Suddenly, it was like Kevin Cash unleashed the fury. He had like five left-handers on the bench. Aaron Boone doesn't have five guys on his bench. It was like, where did they come from? So it's true. It it was like one guy, including like Meadows and Lau, was like, you know, really good guys too. So you're right. They they just come at you in waves and they're not bad anywhere. And that's kind of like an early sabermetric Bill James thing in that if you're just okay everywhere, you're not okay, you're great. And that's a hard thing to get, you know, your head wrapped around. But I think that's where the Rays are offensively and in their position. They're just good everywhere. And good isn't good. If everybody's good, you're great. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got to let BK go. He's got a revolution to stoke. Yes, but, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, before I let you go, I, I need to c- confess something that I don't think has ever before been confessed to um, by anyone who has ever appeared on MLB Now. Like, your shtick on that show is you poke fun at the brethren and all the ex-players and all of us who are just all these backward thinkers show up on your set. But here's here's our true confession. There is no show on the network that we enjoy doing more than yours. Oh, so that's I, nice I just to want hear. to thank... <laughs> really, I, I mean that seriously. I want to thank you for all the fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you for always making us think. And especially, thanks for visiting us here in Starkville, Brian. I enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. A pleasure. Real Thanks pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure is ours, man. Thanks so much. All right, Doug, it's time for one of our favorite parts of every podcast. It's listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And this year has been especially fun for the last three months because we've been literally 
involving you by inviting you to join us on this podcast to stump us live with your questions. Doug, we were on a roll. Sadly, we are not on a roll anymore. <laughs> Am I remembering correctly that last week didn't go so hot for us? No, even with like, you know, triple the guesses, it seemed, and uh, didn't really help <laughs> us, actually. <laughs> yeah, we got crushed by the question last week. Uh, all right, so by my count, our trivia scoreboard now looks like this. It's listeners 10, Stark and Glanville 3, I think it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And this week, we have another really hard question. Happens to come from a friend of mine. Uh, guy who stumped us before, Doug. Let's welcome back this week's special guest trivia stumper. It's Chris Isidore. Chris, welcome to Starkville. Uh, Chris, I know you befuddled us with your questions before, but uh, if I remember right, you've never actually appeared live with us. So, no, I, I think I was uh, early on when it was still um, just. Uh, through Twitter or email. Yeah. All right. So where's this rank on your list of greatest thrills ever actually appearing on Starkville? <laughs> oh, this this is the highlight of my entire career. <laughs> okay. It's not. Okay. He's, this guy has, has a hell of a career going. But um, thanks for saying that anyway. You faked it well. Um, Doug, you should know that Chris and I have known each other for something like, what, 25 years or somewhere in there. We... Well, more than that, I, I think actually we started trading trivia before there was email. That's, that's um, crazy, wow. huh? Like, the thing is, we've almost never seen each other in person, like two or three <laughs> times, right? But we we do share a love for stats and oddities. It goes back to my days at the Inquirer in Philadelphia. So Chris started writing to me then. Uh, we've been in touch ever since. So, you, Doug, you'd think he would go easy on us with this question. Yeah. Uh, no, no. No, that's not happening. No. Um, mm. So, uh, Chris has a question about the late, great Bob Gibson. How would you come up with your idea for this question? So, you know, the the thing that stands out to most people with Gibson is unbelievable low ERA, number of shutouts. 1.12 is one of the iconic numbers in baseball. But I don't think people appreciate this is a man who – completed more than half the games he started and there is it's been like since 1988 since any pitcher has done that for one year just just so you know this is we 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 think this question is really hard um we will think long and hard about it doug by his own admission will cheat to try to answer it uh maybe by some miracle we will get it right but just just repeat your question so we understand exactly what it is since since uh, nineteen say nineteen ninety, who are the only two pitchers who had at least half as many complete games in a season fourteen as Gibson had when he had twenty eight complete games in both sixty eight and wow. sixty nine. Okay, yeah. so what you're looking for is two pitchers who had at least fourteen, 14 complete games, games in one season, season. since nineteen ninety, starting nineteen ninety. Yeah, and yeah, just wow. to clarify the cheating, like I won't use Google. Or anything like that. But he'll give two answers and then I'll give two different answers. And then we combine them to be one yeah. brain. And we still yeah. get we still lose sure. you know, much most of the time. So Yeah, they call that cheating. Yeah. But whatever. We're gonna we're we're gonna go with it. Um okay, so we know that this is not happening now. Okay. Now is not an option. <laughs> no. Um so yeah. this would most most of these would have to come between nineteen ninety and I don't know, two thousand two, three, four, five, something like that. Nobody's ever going to do this again. So, like, my first guess is a guy that I played with and I covered. 
I, Kurt Schilling, he just refused to come out of games. So I think Kurt Schilling is one of them. Mm-hmm. But then who's the other? So I wrote down all of the big workhorse aces from the 90s. Clemens, Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, Randy Johnson, Pedro, Dave Stewart was still going in 1990. Um Another guy came along late 90s, seemed like he pitched a thousand innings a year. Levon Hernandez popped into my head. And then the only two guys whose career started after the year 2000, who would even be a possibility, felt like Roy Halladay and Justin Verlander. Um, could really be any of them. I, I, like, I honestly have no idea, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm going to say Schilling... And Halliday, Doug. Bold, what do you think? Bold Phillies. I see it. Well, I watched yeah, I Kurt. I watched Kurt out there, and you know we weren't very good, so he just completed all the games. <laughs> so it made sense. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, those are good. <laughs> I kind of have them on my list. I have a list here now, as I thought through it. Well, I I like Greg Maddox because it just seemed like he his hour long games. <laughs> oh man! I mean, you could complete a game in a lot fewer pitches than anybody yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, I went back. I had like Dave Steeb, Jack Morris, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, CC Sabathia might sneak in there. Chris Carpenter, remember he just seemed to pitch. Ah, okay, and yeah, Glavin, Josh Beckett, that was another sneaky one. So, all right, so I'm gonna turn my brain off. I'm gonna say Greg Maddox. We'll start there. The second one, it's got to be Stumper. Jack Morris. When did Jack Morris retire? Well, he, was he the, old? The, the Jack Morris game was in 1991. That's right, right? the Twins. So, yep. Yeah. All right, let me just throw something crazy. Like I'm going to just throw Maddox and Jack Morris. Why not? Okay. All right, I think we got some good guesses here. Um, and, uh, you know, since Glanville has totally corrupted the process by deciding we should give quite as many guesses <laughs> as our answers, we always have a shot, but we probably don't. I don't, um, I don't so, I'll just... Going out there. We're, we're going to let Chris tell us whether there's any chance it's Schilling, Halliday, Maddox, or Morris. God, I can't believe we didn't guess Levon. All right, Chris, <laughs> what's the answer, man? Well, Schilling is yes. correct. Schilling is, had uh, 15 complete games in 1998. Nice. Okay, that the Phil, so that's correct. The other one was the really mm. tough one. Um, it's Jack McDowell in 1991. Oh, my God. Wow. Also, Never thought of him. Uh, that would have I would have been stunned if you got it. All the other guesses you had were guys who had more than seven or eight. I mean, it seems like Halliday had nine complete games, eight complete games almost every year. I mean, he was a complete game horse, but he never got up right. to as many wow. as 14. Um, in fact, no one has had um, even uh, double digits, I think, since Shields had 11 in oh, wow. 2011. So... Um, it's uh, you know, it's 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 a rare rare beast. It doesn't take the sixty game season to limit it to, uh, uh, you know, very few. Well, you know, I'd like to buy. I I ran I mean, about this every week. It seems like, but Garrett Cole led the American League in complete games. One of them was seven innings long. The other was five innings long. <laughs> right. So I yeah. I don't think this record's going to be broken. Realize that he wasn't that far behind last year's Bieber and uh, Delito and. Um, had three last year to lead uh, the American League. I mean, and that was a 162 game season. So, and they they yeah. only had three. I mean, 
they only had uh, the leaders only had two back in 2018. So a, a two complete game season is not not unusual anymore. Well, maybe if Brian Kenny gets his way and we go to seven inning games, yeah. bring it this back. This could happen again. Yeah. But otherwise, once again, we have messed up <laughs> the trivia. Doug, we're such idiots. We have part answers. How, always part answers. Yeah, like we like we have demonstrated. Have we gotten zero? We got zero though. Have we ever gotten like none of them right? Yeah, well, I've said like this is my theory about trivia. So it should always be hard enough that you don't get it, but easy enough that you think you should get it. So we always get somebody. But we just have this remarkable ability, Chris, to get questions wrong, even stuff that we saw with our own eyes. <laughs> well, I'm terrible. Never played in this era, still messed it <laughs> yeah. up. I don't even know what. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you got one of them, and, and you got the the one that you know the the guy who's going to be in the hall and everything. So, you, you, okay. you know. When's the last time anyone really thought of Jack McDowell? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, all right. Well, we did our best. If you listen regularly, you know whether we get the question right or we get it wrong. We still bring in the mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim, and he'll play some cool audio clip that has something to do with our question. So let's bring in the mayor, Tim. I'm going to guess you've got some epic Bob Gibson moment for us, right? Yeah, and one that everyone could probably predict I was going to play this time. 1968 Game 1 of the World Series, October 2nd against the Tigers. And, of course, one of the many Bob Gibson complete games. Here you go. He's got it! Struck him out! Look at the scene on the field. McCarver, the first one. Now his infielders all over him. <laughs> A new world's record of 17 strikeouts in one game. It's a new world record? <laughs> world Series record. Yeah, I know. Uh, like that was Harry Carey, Goosebumps, right? Just so cool to hear that. Amazing. I watched that. As I, as I mentioned earlier, I watched a, a lot of that game over the weekend. It was on MLB Network. So much fun. Chris, great question. We never get your questions right, but we love having you ask them. So thanks for joining us here on Starkville. Thanks for having me. Remember, next week this could be you asking us a question and enjoying the thrill of having us extend our trivia losing streak. Uh, we'll tell you how to do that a little later in the pod. But first, one thing we try to do in this segment is we use the trivia question to inspire a topic for the show. So luckily this week, that means we get to talk about Bob Gibson. And uh, Doug, I went back and looked at his unbelievable season in 1968 again over the weekend. And I'm telling you, it's hard to believe this happened in real life. You can understand why they changed the rules because of it. Um, let, listen to this. Now, he had a stretch where he allowed one run or none, 11 starts in a row. He allowed zero in five consecutive starts and six of seven and eight of 10. 48 shutout innings in a row at one point. Uh, he had a stretch in there, 15 straight wins with 10 shutouts okay <laughs> and for the season he threw 13 shutouts so just for fun i'm going to let you know that's more than max scherzer garrett cole jacob Degrom, steven strasburg you darvish and aaron nola have thrown combined in their careers it's 13 to 12 wow so now here's my me, here's Doug. my question about that year how did yeah. he lose nine games? <laughs> you know, I, I I looked at I looked at that actually because uh, he had a stretch it was like twenty two uh, and nine. Like how did he, he should have, he was like thirty he should have been thirty three and one. 
<laughs> yeah, well, he, he had a stretch early on. Uh, lost four starts in a row in May. These wow. are the scores. 3-2, one 2-0, 3-1. So they scored a combined three runs for him in the four starts. So we're going to let him off the hook. As our pal Brian Kenny said, we're going to ignore that part, right? No, the wins, he probably, the losses. He probably had malaria during that time, too. He, he didn't even tell anybody. <laughs> had, had to. Yeah, he was so good. Um, what, what what about Bob Gibson stands out for you? Wow, I mean, well, from a you no, know, not really seeing him that much in the era or really understanding it. I, mean, I was a fan by the end of his career, but um, you know, it wasn't sort of my era in that regard. But I know watching him pitch inside and just the thought of being in the batter's box was just harrowing. You know, just you know, I mean, think of the Don Drysdale's or you know this period where the intimidation was so strong and his fearlessness falling off the mound and all that. And he could hit, by the way, too. This guy was ruthless out there. Um, you know, so that kind of colored the thought about pitching inside. And then, you know, when I wrote my book in 2010, my publisher, to get a sense of how I should craft my style, sent me um, Stranger to the Game, which was his... Oh, bi- wow. yeah, yeah, so the... I don't know if it's considered autobiography. I think it was considered an autobiography. And... I, you know, I remember reading the, the introduction or early chapter maybe and how he, you know, took on all these really difficult subjects right out of the gate. And and one thing, this idea of being a stranger is, get. I think it was written in 93. So he was looking back and not recognizing his game that he, you know, and you know that feeling like we're talking now in 2020 and I'm thinking back to my career and you're like, well, what is that? Like we used to be able to take out the shortstop or run the catcher over whatever it is. And he had that feeling in, in 93 because of just the way people weren't pitching inside and just sort of the you know, the sort of erosion of that slowly starting, right? The complete game was starting to become more in jeopardy where he, of course, completed every game. And, uh, and so I, it was a fascinating look at a 60s, late 60s sensibility on what it meant to be a starter and how the 90s started to shift. And I was drafted by the time this book came out. So I, I found it really compelling. And, uh, and, he, and he talked a lot about just playing uh, sort of the racial dynamics of the Cardinals. Uh, you know, you remember how Kurt Flood refu- didn't want to get traded to Philadelphia because they had a kind of large black contingency, uh, contingency there and how players like Tim McCarver coming from different backgrounds started to sort of uh, coalesce around a certain kind of unity. So it was real like Bill White. And so I, I thought it was a really fascinating introduction to transition in the game and uh and i think so gibson just meant so much more with that intimidating figure on the mound there was a a certain cultural sensitivity a certain awareness and a certain demand for excellence and fearlessness but also how baseball shaped this culture so really a a well-done book i believe the writer co-author was from um who wrote the hank aaron i had a hammer if i had a hammer so you know great work Wow. Um, I, I read the Roger Angel profile of Bob Gibson um, after I, I heard the news. And uh, Bob Gibson really let Roger Angel in for several days. Uh, they hung out in Omaha, Nebraska together. It was great. Like the, Gibson's view of the world was so interesting. But hearing the stories about him were so much fun. Joe Torrey told this story. That be, this is uh, Joe caught... Bob Gibson in an all-star game uh, before this was before they played together before he was a Cardinal and Gibson didn't want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. So at one point 
uh, Joe goes to the mound. Harmon Killebrew comes up, and he said, all right, look, uh, you can't throw this guy a high fastball. Goes back down, and Gibson strikes Killebrew out with three high fastballs. <laughs> <laughs> just to spite him that's what he thought right it was it's so good uh, and you can find it out there uh google it it's uh, just roger angel at his greatest bob gibson at his greatest the tales are awesome um bob gibson may he rest in peace because that was what a legend looked like for sure all right doug before we get to our favorite strange but true moments of the week we have some predictions to make on the division series last week we made our picks on the wild card round Let's review how we did. You went three and five. I went five and three. And, of course, all the ones we got wrong were AL Central and NL Central teams that we picked to win. We won't make that mistake again because they're all gone, all seven of them. Okay. Um, All right, so what do you have in the ALDS? Uh, Astros, A's, Rays, Yankees. Uh, I have the A's and the Rays. It rhymes, so it makes sense, but... um... Yeah, I, I have the Rays uh, going the distance, quite frankly. I, I'm going to throw that out there. I just think they match up with everybody. They're just like a, I don't know what they are, Jenga kind of Swiss Army knife. I don't know what they're doing, but it's working. <laughs> so um, small sample size, Kings. and so. But yeah, I think I see the Rays. They've given the Yankees nightmares this season. I think that will continue. And, you know, Oakland finally got over the hurdle, even if it was a strange season, to kind of win that. Uh, elimination game and you know these guys I mean they're tough they're tough you know offense can be shaky but what a bullpen so um, and the Astros yeah I mean give them credit they knocked the twins off I think it's going to be tough to sustain with such a tough season they had with their pitching and injuries and all that and then being under 500 and now with a longer series I think it'll be harder for the Astros to get by them hey we actually agree on these two um like I, I know it feels like it would be the most 2020 thing ever if the Astros go to the World Series, but uh, they're, they're, they're not anywhere near the team we've seen the last three years in October. So I, I think eventually that catches up with them. And uh, the Yankees scare me, but, uh, you know, they're, like, their pitching holes, I think, will get exposed by the lack of off days in this round. Now, somebody made the point to me last week um, – Garrett Cole pitched 50% of their games, started 50% of their games in the first round. Okay, that's not going to happen this round. Uh, as we were saying with Brian Kenny, the Rays have a pitcher for every occasion, but fun series. Uh, all right, NL, Braves, Marlins, Dodgers, Padres. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go Dodgers and Braves. I didn't have the Braves going this far because I figured, why? let me just throw something in wrench. I had the Reds. They got beat down. But uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, the Braves, incredible offense, but their pitching and their bullpen really rose. And that's a scary when they can combine that uh, with, with the offense that they have going. Uh, they have two legitimate MVP candidates right in their lineup. And that's not Acuna Jr., by the way. He's not even on the list. Ah, <laughs> uh, scary. And, uh, and so, yeah, Dodgers, Padres is going to be an awesome series. Uh, you know, I worry a little bit of the Dodger back end bullpen. But they have so many other weapons that are, you know, near near flawless. That and Kershaw looks incredible. Yeah, I think they they can take it. Yeah. All right. So the the one series we disagree is the Dodgers Padres. I am I'm going Braves and Padres here, I, just because they're the two most fun, most charismatic teams in the league. Um, I both teams have pitching injuries that I worry could catch up with them, but 
I'm picking them anyway. Just want to. I just want to watch. Yeah. I can't wait to watch <laughs> all four of these series. Strange but true. One more thing. All year we ended the show by reviewing the strangest but truest thing that we saw all week. What we had eight postseason series last week. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> so I think we should keep this up in October. Um, I'm going to let you go first. I know what you're going to pick. Uh, it's because you never know who is going to pitch the ninth inning for your Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> it, 12 different pitchers save a game during the season, tie the all-time record, and then in the first game of the postseason, let's listen to who saved game one. Little jam shot. Wendell is there, and he makes the catch, and the Tampa Bay Rays have captured Game one. First save for Pete Fairbanks. Right. That was Pete Fairbanks saving the game. Doug, what amused you about that? Just just the announcing alone, like first save. Uh, what is going on? Uh, I mean, I, I, I went back and tried to look at, you know, because, you know, classic saves leader back in the day, someone like Bobby Thigpen, right? Like, you know what percentage of the games Mariano Rivera got in, and 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 uh, I mean it just it's unfathomable that they don't even have to cl- declare us closer anymore, and most teams don't, and they were able to define who they are through how they approach the back end, which is all these high leverage critical situations, and they had so much comfort in their ability to match up well that they could use any and everybody under the sun. And find a way to get that that sort of you know close out the ball game to execute, and that is just raise baseball, <laughs> and the fact that they're willing to do that in the postseason just speaks to like they're not even trying to think about go to. So it's kind of like playing the Rays is like playing against David Copperfield. You know, it's like what are they going to do? I have no idea who's this guy. I you know you're, you're just completely unprepared. <laughs> you're going to see things you hadn't seen before. Your mind's going to be blown, and before you realize it, the show's over. You're in the parking lot, and they're on the roadshow packing up to go to New York, uh, L.A., or wherever they're going. So that's how – I mean, these guys are uh, magicians, and uh, I think it's exciting in many ways, but at the same time, it's very disconcerting (laughs) to watch these guys. I I feel like they're just laughing at us. (laughs) You know, like all all those years when we were told – you know, not everybody can pitch the ninth inning. <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> anybody can. They get some. They bring guys out of the stands and they save the game. Uh, Twelve pitchers save the game in the season, and the first save in the postseason is by Pete Fairbanks, who saved none of those games during the regular season. Just sums up the race. All right, here's my strange but true moment. Uh, last Wednesday, speaking of firsts. The Twins started a guy in right field named Alex Kirilov. Nothing unusual about that, except he had never started a big league game in his life. (laughs) And then he started for the Twins in a postseason elimination game. Okay, so I know you're thinking, boy, I don't see that much. That's because you never saw it ever. (laughs) And then in the fourth inning of that game, Alex Kirilov came up to bat, and here's what he did. 1-1, that's ripped into right field. That's exactly what Rocco Baldelli told us about Alex Kirilov. He is a huge, elite bat. Congratulations to Alex Kirilov on his first major league hit coming 
in the postseason. When he comes up next year in the regular season and he gets a hit, is that considered then his first hit? And does he collect the baseball, Tim? Yes, it will be his first major league hit because we don't <laughs> we count them, but they don't count towards the regular season. <laughs> yeah. All right. Did you get that? That was uh, Carl Ravitch, Eduardo Tim Perez, Kirk. and our friend Tim Kirkshin. They're all our friends. Um, trying to explain what just happened here. Uh, we just had a position player get a hit in a postseason game before we ever got a hit in a regular season game. And how often has that happened in the history of the universe? Never. <laughs> right? Like, it shouldn't ever happen. It feels impossible for that to happen. But Doug, does that sum up baseball in 2020 or what? Sums it up. Now there, now there's been other players making their debut, right? The, how how many have been been? Uh, they've had three players appear in a postseason game before they appeared in a regular season game. Um, he's the third, but nobody ever started one. Yeah. or got a oh, hit. Right. One. Now we had one uh, infield replacement. Um, was it the Mets one year, I thought, or something. That was no, no. This was the A's, and then uh, 2015, Alberto Mondesi got added to the Royals roster and pinch hit, but never actually got a hit. Mm. Got it? Yeah. So Alex Kirilov has made history. Yo, <laughs> brilliant! So perfect, brilliant. All right, that's going to do it for another really fun Starkville. Uh, let's remind you again, Starkville is now available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read our work or any of the tremendous writing on our site, there is no better sports writing anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you'd like to subscribe, we are still offering you an incredible deal, just $1 a month. So Check us out. It's the baseball postseason. You can't get enough of the great work that we do. Please subscribe. You'll be happy you did. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast just like Chris Isidore was today. We now invite the listener who submits our favorite trivia question of the week to join us on the podcast. To do that, you just need to submit a great trivia question. You can do it by email at starkvilleattheathletic.com or you can do what Chris did, what most people do. Hit us up on Twitter. Just hashtag your questions. Hashtag StarkvilleQS. Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Brian Kenny for visiting us. Thanks to Chris Isidore for the trivia question, which we got wrong. Thanks to the mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. We will see you soon on Starkville. <laughs>